I'm Jonathan Aberman. Coming up on today's show... Understand the research that, that the Center for Regional Analysis is known for and has been known for for over 30 years now in this region is that this is this is not some theoretical modeling that we're coming up with and publishing. These are things where the research that we're doing is engaging with the business community. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. Every sport needs an umpire. Every rule needs to have somebody who's enforcing it. But how do you know if you're winning or losing? Today's guest, Terry Clower from the Center for Regional Analysis, where he's director, is raising his hand to say, I want to be the umpire. I want to be the person who's giving you the data and understand how our region's growing or not. We're going to talk about the outflow of knowledge workers as very important parts of the local economy, the people that pay taxes and help support our infrastructure, but also what housing is doing, what the government contract industry is going to be doing, and whether or not AI may actually be a bigger threat than we thought. That's what we have for you today. Terry, great to see you today. Thanks, Jonathan. And by the way, thank you very much for spending two hours on 95 to get here today. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's the joy of living here. We all come here for the great weather, laid-back lifestyle, and easy commutes. That's exactly right. But in any event, Terry, let's begin here. You've been part of this region for many years. The Center for Regional Analysis is, I think, arguably the umpire calling balls and strikes for the region. You recently up the ante and started to produce some research that I found, and I think many people find very troubling. Uh, talk to me about the region. What are you seeing right now, and uh, why are you raising the alarm bell? So a lot of what we're seeing this year, we continue to see job growth. You know, we've got more jobs than we had. We've been this slow recovery out of the recession, or rather the you know pandemic caused recession. And indeed, some of our sub markets have not fully recovered the jobs that they had prior to you know the spring of 2020. We have a history in this region of doing very well. We used to outperform the national average on growth, sometimes even doubling the national average. And that was usually on a matter of GDP and the regional level as well as job growth. But that was then and this is now. And for the better part of a decade, actually more than a decade now, we have been trailing the nation in growth. Or we've been, in the most recent period, 2022, for which we have data, we might have reached up to where we were about at the same level of the nation, but it was a very narrow segment of growth, just one thing that was keeping us above water. And what it is, is even though we are adding jobs, and even though we have some wins, Amazon HQ2, for example, the region is actually on a downward pathway. And indeed, what we're very concerned about is that path dependencies that you get on in, in economies, regional economies, we're on a downward trend, not an upward trend. So there is, I think, a tendency for people to feel that because we're proximate to the federal government, we have been and will always be a prosperous community. But that's not what the data is showing, is it? Well, we have that underpinning of the federal government. So this is not if, – if we have a real debacle – this is not Detroit, you know, losing 50 percent of its population over a three-decade period or something like that. But this is a matter of we see ourselves as being pretty darn good. In fact, we see ourselves as being great. Look at some of the taglines of our regional organizations. You know, we are great. Well, no, we're not. 
And the fact of the matter is, is we do have the benefit of having that floor of the federal government. But what's the shame is that we have the potential to be so much more. But the way we do things in this region is just not as competitive as it used to be. And we're definitely going to touch on that because I want to unpack that some today. Help our listeners understand and get a frame of reference. When you say we're not doing as well, who are you comparing this region to? So at this point, we think about what has changed over what used to be. I mean, I remember the old economic development guys in this region when I first got here. You know, we're talking about our competition is Los Angeles, New York, and and London, and, and places like that. Increasingly, our competition is Charlotte, Atlanta, Orlando, Nashville, Charleston, Dallas-Fort Worth, to a lesser extent, Austin. I mean, we, we're seeing, and and this is this is endemic of the U.S. overall because we're seeing, you know, many. While this is not like the '70s Rust Belt era, we are seeing many of the old traditional places of growth challenge. We even see challenges now in places like Silicon Valley. Mm. Well, Silicon Valley is an interesting one because on the one hand, uh, the AI bubble has definitely reinvigorated it, but certainly mm. a couple of years ago, there was a concern that a lot of people were leaving. I think that we'll get to housing costs in a, in a few moments, but before we go there, what kind of things do you measure as an economist to come up with these conclusions about relative success? What do you look at? So the real biggest thing that we have now and represents the biggest change in the way economic development happens in this nation has been the increasing over the last decade or two of the importance of labor market. We've shifted from a manufacturing-dominated kind of society to one that it services, and that means people. And indeed, this region has always been more service-oriented, and therefore, it's who, has, who is providing that services, having the talented workforce. And unfortunately, what's been going on for many years now is that we've had domestic out-migration. So more people, more talented workers have chosen to leave this region than stay in the region. In a sense, what the old regional economist Charlie Tebow called voting with your feet. Mm. So when you talk about service, you're talking about people working in supermarkets, supermarkets, hotels, but also people who work in government contractors or consulting businesses. It's, it's knowledge horsepower providing a service that could be tied with the technology to satisfy a customer. Right. Our biggest... Um, our biggest private sector industry in this region is called professional and business services. And so that's where you see the people that are the computer programmers, the architects, engineers, all of these lawyers included, lobbyists, but all of these included. And some of them are always going to be here because the federal government is here. Now, are those jobs shrinking nationally or are they just shrinking here? So those jobs have actually been growing well nationally, and indeed, it, it's a real interesting phenomenon we even saw locally is that if you take professional business services, there's this piece of it that is those professional jobs, and there's also some things like building services. And as you might imagine, building services and things like that really got hammered during the pandemic. But this region, we didn't really see any job loss, and we have continued to see some job appreciation in that sector after the pandemic, but in recent months, and indeed going back to last summer, we actually saw periods of time where that sector that represents our contractors, government contractors, we've seen actual job levels be negative in some month-over-year kind of basis, and so it's really flattened out. But that doesn't mean there isn't demand, mm -hmm. because at the same time that we're talking about that this labor market is slowed a little bit, 
we still, even though things have slowed a little bit nationally and slowed a little bit here regionally, we still have well over 100,000 job openings in this region. So it's a matter that we're not growing in part because we can't supply the labor to our employers so that they can grow. So you're following all this. You're looking at job openings. You're looking at uh, migration or immigration. And I believe that you pointed out recently that we lost tens of thousands of these exact type of workers in the region last year, that they left. So we saw in the most recent data available from the Census Bureau, which ended a 12-month period in June of 2022, that this region lost 66,000 people, over 66,000. Is that people. a lot? I have no that's idea. A lot. That, that, that's a lot. That's actually more than we've ever seen in a, in a single year. Now, some other recent data that I've seen suggests that maybe some of those cohorts within all of those people, I mean, some, a, a relatively small group of those people are people who are retiring and going off to the Outer Banks or Florida or wherever, but, but we're seeing a lot of it is our professional class workers that are in family formation years or have formed families, so let's say that 30 to, you know, late 40s, early 50s, we're losing still them. Some of our youngest population, those that are just getting out of college and stuff like that, used to be a major growth area for us. We used to see more people coming. That was one of our core strengths, people, young people coming to this region to work in federal service or for contractors, whatever. And we've seen that that is just barely balancing out right now. In other words, as many are leaving as coming. So to summarize, the United States economy has gone from a manufacturing-led economy to a knowledge worker-led economy, mm -hmm. uh, where technology and non-technology is largely delivered through people providing services. That's the national trend. That's the same here. But on a relative basis, for whatever reason, and I think you're going to diagnose some reasons shortly, we are concerned, you're concerned, others, because people are leaving and when people leave, we lose we lose industrial capacity. We lose them working here. We lose them starting companies here. We lose them paying taxes here, which causes and accelerates decline. That's what you're concerned about. Well, it is. And if you think about it, so let's say now that we have an increasing ability for remote and hybrid work. Well, it's, let's set hybrid aside for just a moment and think about remote workers. So prior to the pandemic, maybe about 4% of high-wage workers in this nation were truly remote. And these were things like computer programmers that, you know, they're just sitting in their wherever they're sitting, you know, doing their coding. Some of that is salespeople who have territories outside of, you know, of where an office is. So kind of makes sense in that. But that grew to well, you know, to well over 10 percent during the pandemic. Now, we've started to see that pull back some. But what you have now is if I'm a business and I can't find a worker here, I may can find that worker because they're willing to live in someplace like Charlotte or Nashville or something like that. Now, even if I keep that job, quote unquote, based here, but that person is here, we lose all of the benefit of that person's household spending, mm -hmm. which is a big piece of the economic impact of any job that gets created in business. It's how it flows through the economy. So we lose that piece of it. But more importantly, what we understand is that some connection is still very very valuable. If that employer is has an office elsewhere, we're going to we're going to eventually lose those jobs of being based here to being based where they can find the talent. Now, I have certainly read and I've heard you and and other economists and observers look at housing but also look 
want first at commercial real estate. Our commercial real estate market seems to be in a really bad state right now. Is it worse than the rest of the nation or is it the same as everywhere else? So it is It is a really mixed bag, but as a, as a region, it's certainly down. And of course, places like Arlington are particularly hammered. Well over 20 million square foot of a vacant space in Arlington right at the moment. Uh, other areas are seeing that. It's it's growing in some areas. At the same time, you see a little bit of flip happening in the commercial real estate market where you still have some construction at Class A because what's happened is, is businesses are trying to attract workers back into the office and, and do all that. Well, do you want to go to an old moldy 1960s era office building, you know, so it's the class of building. And right now, class A trophy class buildings seem to be doing better. It's that class B and class C that are really struggling. We are seeing this elsewhere where, you know, there is some, there is some pullback in the office market across the country. We are particularly getting hammered by it, but some of that has just been the long-term tax structure. Arlington, you know, as an example, has had 50% of their tax base in that commercial sector. That's so, really strange. So we're here with Terry Clower, Professor Terry Clower from George Mason University Center for Regional Analysis. When we come back, Terry, we're going to turn our attention a little bit to from diagnosis to maybe start to talk about the kind of things we can do to solve problems. We'll be right back. in touch with some of the best voices in the Washington, D.C. region. We've been hearing from you and speaking to the people you want to hear from. That's what What's Working in Washington is about. We talk to the power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. But more and more, we talk about the hard questions and look for the real answers that will drive the region and our nation forward. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, do let us know. We look to shine a spotlight on people who are really getting things done in the region. So please keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of you who stay in touch with us. Professor Terry Clower from George Mason University and director of the Center for Regional Analysis. Well, Terry, we certainly we certainly started on a talk about this and it's kind of bleak, but why are people leaving? They're leaving. Okay, why? I think the main thing is two two factors and they're they're interrelated, cost of housing and the lack of availability of housing. If if you have a growing family, you've come here, you've worked on the hill for a while in your 20s and you've You've established a professional pathway for yourself, even if it's, you know, moved now to the private sector, whatever. You're forming families, you're wanting housing. Young families can't find housing, one, anything available that they want, and two, something they can afford. Um, We have this real affordability issue here, and yet, you know, and you have other places where you say you spread out. We just haven't for decades been building enough housing. And when you say affordability, I want to make the point that we're we're not – just talking about people who are professional services people who are making hundred thousand dollars a year. We're talking about people who are working in hotels or working in other service industries that are 
scrimp it and save it and make $35,000 a year, there's no housing for them either, right? Well, you have a real dearth at that. Of course, once you start getting below that level of, of you know, average median income, once you start talking about households that are in the 50 and 1,000, there are programs and things that, that are meant to help and, and provide subs. What we're talking about that has the biggest impact is what we think of as workforce housing. And this ah. is and this is not just say hundred that this is getting up folks that that have, you know, maybe one hundred and fifty even two hundred thousand dollars of household income. We have households in this region that under official definitions of of financial stress are making good money, but the mortgages that they pay are so high that they are technically housing stressed. It's so it's it's almost counterintuitive, isn't it? Um, that when you're as an economist looking at the region and you're talking you're you're sort of agnostic right i mean you're mm-hmm. you're not making a normative statement you're saying look people who are paying taxes or in the prime of their work years that can support programs to help people who don't necessarily have access to the same kind of jobs all that stuff is going away or could, is at risk because these highly paid workers can't afford to live here so where are they going well, and we see them going lots of different places, and it points out some others. So some of the places that we see them going, Atlanta, Charlotte, Charleston, all of which, if you think about this on a cost-of-living basis, are anywhere from 35 to 40% cheaper to live in than here. Now, mind you, there would be some sal- you know, expected salary adjustments, but you can make a pretty good wage and actually have a better, quote-unquote, lifestyle in some of these markets. Now, we have seen some data recently that, that throws a little bit of an anomaly in there that people that are members of, say, LinkedIn, so you're thinking probably you know more professional than folks that are you know working construction or something like that, one of their number one destinations, well, the number one destination for those members is Los Angeles. Well, Los Angeles, and this is something that a lot of people don't realize, Los Angeles is thought as being a hugely expensive real estate market and very expensive to live in. It's about on par with us in this region. Wow. And, and they have so, a beach. So and they, we and they, they've, okay. got, they've got a beach, you know, a little bit more laid back lifestyle, like I mentioned. So, you know, there, there are other reasons. But it goes beyond just housing because this, in, this goes into things like, again, child care, availability and expense of child care. Here, it, it is, it's critical and it just makes it hard for families to, to do, to live here. And so they're finding that they can do it elsewhere. So this is, means that it, it, there is the element of housing. There are some other elements. There are taxes and other things like this. And then you have these things that, unfortunately, with the challenges that Metro has had recently, it's certainly not easier to get to, as I proved this morning, trying to get to the, state, yeah. uh, to the uh, studio. That's right. It's a big, hairy problem. There are a lot of problems. You've diagnosed them. I think you're going to get people to pay attention. What are you going to do? There's two levels to diagnosing the problem. There's the one of, you know, we have the symptoms. Now we're digging in and actually trying to unpack what are the causes of these symptoms. And some of them we kind of have a pretty good idea about. We know that our zoning regulations are not really conducive to developing more and, and better housing and new housing. And I'm not just talking about things about trying to rechange, you know, the existing environment, but there's some of it that we need to change. We need to think about how do we craft a built environment that's suitable for society and the economy of the mid-21st century, not what worked well in 1970. Mm-hmm. And so we've got, to, we've got to think about something, but that means doing some research. This is what we do at the Center for Regional Analysis. We do research and start to peel it apart and look for where are the pain points, where are the things that are really 
impeding our ability to grow, things that are really adding to, say, the cost of housing that maybe we don't have to do it that way. And then from that, we can develop policy recommendations for change that will take us along a different pathway to making us more competitive. I'm not going to tell you that we'll ever be a cheap place to live. And I'm not going to tell you that that we won't ever that we'll ever make it as cheap as say maybe some southern market. You know, if you think about someplace in Florida or someplace in Texas or whatever. But what we need to do is have that gap closed up because what has changed in part is a lot of those cities elsewhere that are the younger emerging cities have become great places to live. They have lots of amenities. That used to be our key thing. Nobody could match our amenities. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of places that are catching up with that. Amenities. That's a really interesting, like an arena in Alexandria. <laughs> oh, we're not going to go <laughs> that, that can be a different yeah, show. That can be a different topic. But, yeah. um, okay, so somebody's going to listen is listening thinking, oh, great, a professor is going to do research ho-hum, who cares, research, that does nothing. What's your, what's your response to that? Well, so understand the research that, that the Center for Regional Analysis is known for and has been known for for over 30 years now in this region is that this is, this is not some theoretical modeling that we're coming up with and publishing. And pay. These are things where the research that we're doing is engaging with the business community, talking to people that do things and where they are finding their choke points, and then understanding policy as it exists now and look for those differentials of where things can be made better. So it's very much, it is applied research, but within all of that, we are making sure that we use good academic rigors and standards. So this isn't something of, you should do this because I say so. I mean, I got all sorts of letters behind my name. That's not the reason to do it. It's reason because the the solutions that we are going to present over the next 12 to 18 months are going to be data-driven, where you can provide evidence of this is what's wrong, and we're not even going to say that there's only one solution. There might be three or four or 20 different things that can be done that all will contribute to some of our key challenges, and we want people to understand that there is a basis, a reason for why I do that, and then we let the political process do what it's supposed to do of look at options and come up with sound decision-making. Well, what's interesting about your effort to me is that I don't know how many people know this, but this region is successful largely because 30 years ago, a group of real estate developers and government contractors decided to turn Northern Virginia and Montgomery County in a place where people wanted to live to grow an industry, which is government contracting. And it was based upon data, but it was also based upon a really informed understanding of zoning rules and proffers and things like that. I mean, do you, is, is this what you're imagining that this is going to happen again, that you're going to catalyze uh, people to act by giving them information? We, we certainly hope so because it's very much we need leaders and people that have the, you know, the authority or have the power because these business leaders have the power of deciding are their businesses, how much of their business is going to be based here. Think of a difference between a couple of our key contractors. Lidos, I think the number is, has over 30 percent of their workforce in this region. Boeing, probably 2 percent. Now, it doesn't mean having Boeing as a headquarters here is not important. It is for economic development. But you think that we want it to be more of the company is here, their headquarters are here, and a good chunk of their labor force is here. What do you think about something that I care a lot about, the innovation economy, meaning uh, startups and new businesses? We seem to continually fall to second, third, fifth, and tenth place compared to other places around the country. 
Does your data show that? It certainly it does. It shows that. And in part, what you're also seeing is the economy is changing and we have to change with it. So let's just even think, and maybe this is an entire show later too, but even think about what does it mean as we get processes, call them artificial intelligence, call it machine learning, call it just programming that can automate routine processes. Mm -hmm. How much of government bureaucracy in the federal government is routine processes? We have 370,000 federal workers in this region. Will we continue to need 370,000 workers to do that in a new age where you have these computing technologies available at the desktop? It's fascinating. So now what you've identified is the possibility that companies that are outside the region provide the technology to actually cost us jobs. It could. And of course, in our response here is we need to be at the forefront of that private sector development and not just services, but something you're familiar with, the notion that we need to be developing those products here so that when it grows into industry sectors, that growth, the investment, the dollars and the jobs are coming here, not going elsewhere. Well, I'll give you credit, Terry, because I, I know that this initiative that you're talking about pursuing, you're actually financing this you know, largely yourself. This isn't, this isn't funded by the public. This is funded by donors. This is you and the center over the years accumulating money by doing good work in the region. So you're putting money on the table. You're putting your time on the table. What are you hoping to accomplish by doing this? You don't have to do it. We want to have, if you will, call it a, call it a guidebook. You might call it a roadmap if you think about, you know, previous things that came out of, of the Center for Regional Analysis before I was here. There, there, are, there are things that you do, but you want that guidebook. You want to provide people with some real information, real data. So basically, Terry, you're going to want to call balls and strikes. Yes. Sounds like we need an umpire. You're standing up and you're ready to serve. Not only that, not only we want to so give people, here's some things you do, but then part of our job is to continue to monitor so that we say, hey, this is working, this isn't working, or why aren't we doing this? Because in some cases, our, if we don't do anything, the, the absolute end of it's going to be us devolving into perpetual economic mediocrity. Not a goal I want to see us achieve. Terry, I, I'm very happy that you've raised your hand to do this for the region. I'm looking forward to having you on the show to see how your progress is being made. Thank you for taking this effort on for all of us. I'm Terry Clowry. He's Professor Terry Clower from George Mason University, Director of the Center for Regional Analysis. Terry, thanks for being here. Thank you. What's working in Washington? That's a question we often hear. The reality is Washington works every day at looking at the issues that have to be addressed, solving problems when we can, but more than anything, the crossroads for where change will occur and needs to occur. This show, What's Working in Washington, brings voices into the studio so you can hear from them what they want to do and how they want to contribute to this great enterprise we call the United States of America. What's Working in Washington is a team effort. Our executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Our assistant producer is Anna DeGraff. The theme music you've been listening to is performed by the Sunbathers. And thanks to all of you for joining us on What's Working in Washington. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.